I am so glad you're here. I'm Emily Danielson, and we are on part two of the series, Joseph, God Meant It for Good. Now in part two, Chris lays the foundation of the integrity that will follow Joseph throughout his life. A reminder, Bible Idiots is now the podcast platform for the teaching ministry of my husband, Mr. Bible Idiot himself, Chris Danielson. And we will return with the Chris and Emily show under a new banner in the near future. But the Bible Idiots brand will now be exclusively for deeper outreach and teachings. We've been shown that lives are being impacted and people are growing and it's been amazing to see. So if you have a Bible or a device nearby, open it up to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. And may the Lord richly bless you as you listen. Well, today we are going to look into part two of God planned it for good. God meant it for good. God designed it for good. God orchestrated it for good. Those are just all the brainstormings for the potential series title. But today is message number two in the Joseph series. And it's entitled, Diamond in the Mud. And I know you're like, that's creative. (laughs) It's okay. Um, We're going to Genesis chapter 37 today. First 11 verses, and I'm going to read out of the ESV. Why don't you stand with me? The verses will be on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible with you. But if you did, Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age And he made him a coat of many colors. But when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is it this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Heavenly Father, let these be your words to your children now in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. In our first message on Joseph, if you weren't here last week, We took a hard look at his background. In fact, as we go through now, uh, the next couple weeks we won't be in Joseph. We'll be back to him twice a month, probably between now and through the summer. 
But go back and watch on YouTube the sermon from last week because you get that hard background exposed last week. It's, it's marked by total dysfunction. And this godly man grew up in some extremely godly soil, ungodly soil. He grew up in incredibly ungodly circumstances. In fact, when you look at the whole story of Jacob from the time he was born to Isaac and Rebekah all the way through Joseph in the end of Genesis, you will see a story of redemption of the father, Jacob becoming Israel, and how that possibly was passed on through his son because God did a work in the midst of some terrible circumstances. I'm still amazed that God could take a guy such as that from that kind of background and use him as he did. And what it does for me and what I want it to do for you more than anything over this you know, next six months when we go on and off with Joseph is to give hope as a parent, as a pastor, and as a person. And when I say pastor, you can fill in the blank for your occupation, your calling, your vocation. Of course, if you read the Bible, you soon discover that God specializes in that. That's his deal. He takes what appears to be nothing and makes something magnificent out of it. You know, there was a youth group in Arizona, and they weren't associated with any denomination. It was just a, a young couple that started reaching out to transient youth who had run away throughout the, you know. If you're going to run away, Arizona's a good place to go because at least you're not going to freeze to death. And so they had this youth group that was a bunch of transient youths. And they gave it a name, and that name I said to the youth pastor when I met him, I said, if I ever start a Christian band, that's going to be the name of my band. Although there's two problems with me starting a band. One, I, I'm not musical, and two, I can't carry a tune, and I'm tone deaf. So if you ever want to start a band, the name of the youth group and the name of your band should be, you ready? Salvaged. Salvaged. Because we come off the salvage pile. We come off the scrap pile. And one of the first things you lose when you come off the scrap pile is that pretense. Now, again, that was my attraction to Lifehouse. The pretense wasn't here. And it's like, good, we got that going for us. Now, if they just know the Lord. And here we are. And many of you do. You know him. You're as close to him as you're ever going to be, and now you want to grow strong. But just like the seasons, we grow strong and then we wither, and we grow strong and then we wither. You know, if you drive down 40 to my house, you can see in my porch right now because there's no leaves on those trees. But three months from now, you won't be able to see past them because they'll have grown strong again. And it's the same for us as we look at Joseph. It, he takes, God takes what appears to be nothing and he makes something magnificent out of it. And that's your life. That's my life. And that's our church. And that's what we do with the time that God's given us if we allow him to get the glory for anything that's magnificent because when you come off the salvage pile, you know it ain't you. You know it's not you. It's astounding that a young man who grew up in the same home, same condition, same environment as his brothers could be so different. Of course, if you have more than one child, you know. If you come from a family of more than one sibling, you know how different you are from your siblings. You've seen this with your own eyes. No children are alike. But Joseph, however, is different in such a way that he literally stands out like a diamond in the mud. And so I want to take these 11 verses over the next 20 minutes or so, 30 minutes or so, depends on how windy I get today, and just 
show you the ways that Joseph was different from his brothers, and you will see the diamond in the mud. Let's start with a point number one today. Our point number one is the rightness of Joseph's life. The rightness of Joseph's life. You see it in verse two of our text. Let's look at it. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy, giving give his age, 17, with the sons of Bilah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. We are told that Joseph is tending his father's sheep with his half-brothers. And if you understand the culture at that time, Joseph 17 now, he's going out there now to find his way with the flocks, which was Joseph's occup- or Jacob's occupation. Jacob and Laban, the flocks, that's what they did. That's how they, they lived in these tribal mentalities moving around. And they settled here, and Jacob is building much wealth with his family with their flocks. It's a family business. And Joseph has to go out there now with the half-brothers, and he sees what they're doing, and we're never told what it is, but it ain't good. These men are doing something really evil. And as you read the story, you get the, the, the impression that Joseph was shocked by this initial journey with his brothers. He, he, he couldn't understand the vile nature of it. And they were an evil bunch, y'all. And I'm going to give you the scripture references. You don't need to write them down. It's just, it's there. Because I, I, I want you to know that I'm not just making this up. You can go back and look, look at it. But real quickly, Joseph's brothers, among other things, they were guilty of murder, Genesis 34, 25, incest, 35, 33, hatred, Genesis 37, 4, envy, Genesis 37, 11, enslaving their brother, Genesis 37, 38, which we're going to get to, lying, 37, 31 through 33, and immorality, 38, 20, 12 through 18. It's all right there. And even God can take them and pull them off the salvage pile. But Joseph had to live with it now. And there's other pressure that's coming on Joseph that we're going to take a look at. But what these men were doing was so shocking, Joseph had so much so that he had to come and tell Jacob, had to come and tell Israel. This event surely caused problems between Joseph and the rest of his brothers. It may have been the seed plot, may have been that root of bitterness in the heart of the brothers that then now began to grow. There's other things, as I'm going to point out in a couple minutes, but... This is not good when somebody turns on light in your dark place because you want to keep that place dark. That's a natural human condition. And when somebody exposes it, they're the problem. So here's what happens. Joseph has to share this with his father because it's the family business. And Joseph is full of integrity. Now, some authors have accused Joseph here of being a tattletale, of being a narc. In my neighborhood, that's one of the worst things you could be. You know, you, you can shake me down real hard, but I ain't giving up my, my, my peeps. But see, the brothers weren't his peeps. And I'll show you why. But we're told that Joseph really uh, 
acted in a way of integrity, and some people turn this as if he acted as a tattletale in a goody two-shoes. I think Joseph displayed nothing but integrity going to his father with the evil, because if you understand the, the family business at the time and the tribal community that they were living in, this kind of evil would have brought angst from other tribes. We're also told that when Jacob converted and became Israel after that long night, holding on, holding on, holding on, got his hip touched, got his hip broke, that in the middle of all of the warring tribes around him, his, his people were never attacked. I think Joseph knew that there was a sense of integrity that God honored. And he had a responsibility to his father. And whatever his brothers were doing, it involved the flocks of Jacob. Thus, it involved the family good name in the area. And he needed to know what was going on with his sons. We're never told exactly what it is, and many people have some wild speculations. I'm not going to do that. I get what evil is. But Jacob did the right thing when he went to Jacob and told him the evil deeds. And there are some lessons to be learned that we can take heart. There's wisdom here for us for 2022. It isn't easy, but a very blatant, common, in-your-face message would be to do the right thing in every situation. Our lives should be marked with integrity. There are plenty of people who are willing to do the wrong thing, especially if it makes life easier for them, even if it's temporary. But we should always do the right thing in spite of personal cost. If there's something that you must tell, be sure you tell the right person. Jacob was the patriarch of this family. He had the right to know what his sons were doing with his family business. So Joseph told him and him alone. He told his father in an effort to stop evil. A gossip always tells the wrong person, and they are not trying to stop evil, they're trying to spread it. If you must tell something, tell the truth. And that is what Joseph did. He did not embellish the facts. He simply told things as they were. Gossips love to add or subtract from the details as it suits their agenda. And many of you can give testimony to that over your life. I know for us, Emily and I, we called somebody a heretic in their hometown on the air. That's going to be rough. Didn't even mean to do it. It's almost like my mouth was falling down the stairs. But we did it. Emily still calls it one of the greatest days of her career. We, were, we, we eventually got fired. There's consequences sometimes for telling the truth. You know, I love it when people say, you know, we want a, a pastor who's going to tell the truth, and I don't mind if I get my toes stepped on a little bit. Yeah, that usually works until your toes are stepped on then there's usually issues. And what we want to do as a collective, as a covenant partnership, we want to stand on the agenda of God. And we want to be about His kingdom. And if that means that I have to be called on the carpet by church leadership about saying something that I shouldn't have said, so be it but I'm going to call you on the carpet too. Just understand it's a two-way street. And I'm sorry, I'm not afraid. I've seen it, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I got nothing left 
but to share the truth of God's word. Because if we're standing in front of Jesus in 15 minutes, he ain't going to look at me and say, why didn't you tell him the truth? I'll be able to stand there and say, I told him the truth, God, but look what you're dealing with. <laughs> Thanks for laughing, a few of you. Some of you are sitting there going, ah. <laughs> no. You have to take responsibility. If you are working for a bank, and there are people that are above you, that are related to you, that are stealing from the bank, that may come back and put you in jail, are you going to report them, or are you going to just hide it? Are you going to be the narc? That ain't the point. The point is, is I got a family. I got a future. I got a life. I got, you, you got to stop this. You got to stop this. Do you follow? That's not being a tattletale. Let's go on to point number two. The placement of Joseph's life. The placement of Joseph's life. Verses three and four kind of tell us what's going on. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat or a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. These verses tell us that the atmosphere in the home wasn't good. Okay? There's favoritism. Jacob is clearly guilty of favoritism in his relationship with Joseph. He, we are clearly told in the scriptures, I mean, you can't deny it, Joseph, uh, Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other children. Jacob should have known better than to do this. Think about it now, those of you who know your Bible. What kind of home did Jacob grow in, grew up in? I mean, favoritism, right? Rebecca loved Jacob. The father, Isaac, loved Esau. They basically made it known to their children, I like you more than him, I like you more than him. Parents should be very careful to not favor one child over another. Children should be treated as equal as far as that is possible. But again, like everything else with a pendulum, you can't flip it to where you don't recognize uh, something a child does because you're, you're afraid of what it might, might insult the other one. So here's a tip. Celebrate all your children all the time. Like God does with us. See, Jacob's choice of Joseph did not result purely from a desire to elevate him above his brothers. There were circumstances that caused it. I'd go so far as to say that if I'm Jacob, I'm doing the same thing. I'm not saying I'd be proud of it, but I bet you I'd do it. And when you hear it and you process it, you might think the same. Check it out. See, it appears that he has chosen Joseph to be the head of the household upon his death. He has picked Joseph to be the guy. And it did not just come from a pure desire to elevate him. It was what Jacob saw as his life unfolded of over 100 years. See, this is indicated by two statements, that he wanted Joseph to be the head of the household upon his death. He said because he was a son of his old age and he made him a robe or a coat of many colors. Let's just stop and consider these two things right now so you get the, you get the understanding, okay? The phrase, because he was the son of his old age, can refer to the fact that Jacob was 91 years old when Joseph was born. 
He had waited many years on the child of his beloved wife, Rachel, who we covered last week. When Joseph was born, his heart's desire was finally realized. All of these other women, Leah, who he got tricked into marrying, the two handmaids, because Leah and Rachel were fighting, wanting, not wanting to be barren. All these kids came, and Rachel, the one he loved more than any of them, had nothing. And then God heard their prayers, and Joseph was born. But there is another possibility. The phrase can also be translated because he was white head on young shoulders. This might mean that Jacob saw wisdom and strength in the character of Joseph above all of the other sons that were given to him. And it's simply missing in the other boys. Joseph had something that the others just simply did not. And maybe Jacob recognized it by the time he was 17 years old and realized that, okay, here's the one that Rachel gave me. He's my favorite. He's got integrity. He can handle the family business. I'm giving it to him. He doesn't know how much longer he will live. Jacob is 108 years old when this text was written. That's the, that's the age of his life. It's, it's pretty, scholars can piece it together. It's pretty obvious Jacob's 108. He needs one of his sons to take over when he dies. His oldest son, Reuben, he's disqualified himself when he committed incest with Jacob's concubine. All right? The oldest sons of Bilah and Zilpah, they're handmaids. These could not have been the choice. It would not have been the choice. The only choice that remained was Joseph, the eldest son of his favorite wife. And he also made Jacob, uh, Jacob also made Joseph that coat of many colors. We always seem to, I don't know about you, but when I was a little and I heard, heard the story and then you, Donnie Osmond played, you know, dream coat and all that stuff. I always think of this like striped jacket that screamed, I'm special. Daddy loves me more than he loves you. That's not it. This garment, stay with me now, this garment said way, 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 way more than that, okay? The phrase translated coat of many colors literally refers to a shirt with long sleeves, and some translations call it a robe. It's a special type of garment that was multicolored and heavily ornamented. It would have had sleeves that would reach all the way down to the hands, and hems of the garment would reach down to the ankles. It marked the wearer, hear me now, it marked the wearer of this garment as chieftain or head of the clan. So this type of garment is not worn by a common worker. It was only worn by the overseers and royalty, those who were above labor. And this garment in this tribe, in this family, could only be worn by the, capital T-H-E, the heir. So when Jacob gave this coat to Joseph, it identified him as the father's choice to be the head of the family upon his death. It identified him as a superior son to the rest of the family. The coat told his brothers, you don't report to Jacob and his, you don't report to Israel any longer. You report to Joseph now. This is a big deal. This is big doings in families of that era. The head of the household literally held absolute life and death authority over the members of the family. And when the brothers of Joseph saw him wearing that garment, they knew. They knew exactly where they stood in the pecking order of the family. And Joseph carried himself well and earned the respect of his father. And as time went on, his father gave him more and more responsibility within the family. 
He carried himself so well that he gets appointed the head of the family with the coat of many colors. And when this is written in ancient times, people read that, they immediately understand that. We just think that, oh, he was the favorite, so he got to go down to the mall and get the better school clothes. It's like, no, much more than that. And by the way, keep what I'm about to say in mind for the coming weeks, okay? This would have entitled Joseph to a double portion of the father's inheritance. Bada bing, bada boom, follow the money, right? So when he gets sold off into slavery and they take the coat and dip it in blood, and oh, he's killed by wild animals, don't forget that. So all of this attention from Jacob toward Joseph created jealousy among the older brothers. How could it not? In fact, they are told that they hated him and could not speak peaceably of him. The word hated is a very strong word. It's the idea that the person or things that are detested and despised and with which wishes to have no contact or relationship. They could not even say shalom to him. They didn't have a kind word at all for Joseph. Their hatred grew in every passing day, and you can see it in our text in verse 4, verse 5, verse 8, and verse 11. That's a lot of background from the text. Now, I want to make a point of application as we move on. We live a life of integrity and holiness. That's what, we, that's what we strive for. When you are saved, you immediately realize, I can't live a life of holiness and, and, and integrity. I'm, I'm so damaged. But Jesus starts a good work in you. You're given a heart of flesh in place of a heart of stone. He starts you on this journey. And you start to realize holiness and integrity that you never had before. You start to have love for other people that you never had before. And when we pursue a life of integrity and, and holiness, our Father notices. He does. When we are faithful in our service to Him, He will promote us to greater areas of service. This is why you don't do any good deeds for other people to see. You do it only for the Father's eyes because you're so in love with Him. You're so trusting Him. You have so much faith in Him for all of eternity that you know His opinion is the only one that matters. It's not that I'm going to sin and get caught and be shamed by the church, or it's not that I'm going to sin and Emily's going to find out and that might hurt. It's not that I'm going to sin and the police might come and get... No, I don't choose... I choose to particularly avoid and run from sin because I don't want to sin against God. When you have that, you have what David had. And God called him a man after his own heart. I got two verses to back up that statement. Matthew 25, 21. It says this. This is Jesus saying, And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. And the true character of our heart is revealed in the faithfulness of our service to the Lord. Check this out. <laughs> Excuse me. Same thing, same type of thought. It's from Jesus. It's just a different parable. It's a different teaching, but it's the same kind of thought. Luke 16, uh, 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Which is why I tell people, your circumstances can change. And you can go from the outhouse to the penthouse, but you're still there. You know, I remember standing on the shores of the Bristol Bay overlooking the Bering Sea in Alaska, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm still here. It's still me. I thought I'd feel different. I thought things would look different when I got out here, you know? And you don't. 
You know, somebody said the most obvious, Emily hates this quote, I think it's one of the most brilliant quotes in the world, and she rolls her eyes so hard, I think her neck's going to snap one of these days. But here's, here's the quote, you ready? Wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> if you're integrity in the little things, you'll be integrity in the big things. I've told you this analogy before, and I'll tell it to you again, and then we're going to move on. In the movie Family Man with Nicolas Cage, the angel player is Don Cheadle. And at the end of the movie, he, he keeps showing up. He now shows up, and he's working in a convenience store. And as Don Cheadle and the character from Nicolas Cage named Jack, as they're reconnecting, because it's about time for Jack to go back to his rich life and leave even more riches behind uh, of a family, there's a little girl who puts a Coke up on the counter. And she puts a $1 bill on the counter. And Don Cheadle grabs the $1 bill and counts her back $9 and says, out of 10, that's, that's going to be $1. Out of 10, counts her back $9 and change. And the little girl has it in her hands, looks at him, looks at the money. And Cheadle says, wait a minute, Jack, is there anything wrong, miss? And she shakes her head no, puts it in her pocket and runs out the door. And Don Cheadle said, you see that, Jack? You see that? For nine bucks. She sold her integrity for nine bucks. Don't let that be you. Another point is when other people get promoted, when other people prosper, do you, are you happy for them? Do you become joyful for them? I, I don't know. What it, I, I've watched other people get really ticked off when other people do, do well. That is one of the gifts that God has given me that I praise him for is that I don't have... I don't have that. Now, I'm not trying to say, oh, look at me, I'm so great. But I just don't process things like that. I was born with a mental defect. I'll tell you about that on story time on Wednesday. But I love it when other people succeed. I mean, Emily and I had interns come on our radio show, and seven of them went on to have their own show. I'm pretty sure two of them had much more success than we do. I love it. But, oh, that old enemy, envy, will creep in. And it comes into me too. Even somebody who professes to want to see other people succeed, it still comes in sometimes. I really wanted to upgrade my vehicle. I was hoping that one of my movie scripts or some residual income would come in and I'd be able to upgrade my vehicle. And my vehicle that I wanted went from 40000 to 50000 It's now $81,000 for the basic vehicle that I wanted. It's gone. It's gone forever. <laughs> so when I see other people driving that vehicle, you follow? <laughs> see, when we are processing things from a thankful heart, the Lord is doing in our lives something we can't do for ourselves. And our true selves gets re revealed. Your true selves and mine gets revealed in how we respond to the promotions, blessings, achievements, and advancements of others. And always remember that Jesus changes that true self in you on a continual basis, on a daily basis. He starts a good work in you, and he's faithful and just to complete that work. And if you need a little more polish, come to him again today, and he'll work it out with you. All right, let's get to the last point and bring it home today. Point number three, the hope and hatred of Joseph's life. The hope and hatred of Joseph's life. 
as trouble was brewing in the family, God was working in the life of Joseph. Now, God spoke to Joseph in two dreams. In these dreams, God revealed some of his plans for Joseph's life. Now, let's take a look at these two dreams. And as we do, I want to give you a, an overview, an umbrella for which we look at them, because I don't want you to confuse this. These dreams are not your dreams that you have when you sleep at night. I believe that these dreams that are in the Old Testament were so far before a lot of the written word, and particularly the Bible, canonized for our benefit. But these dreams were so vivid and so alive and so spiritual that they would rock people to their core. Now, I've been rocked by dreams and get up, and then as the day goes by, even 10 minutes, it fades. I don't even remember what I was dreaming about half the time, or I can't connect the dots. Not so. Not only Joseph's dream, but Nebuchadnezzar and other dreams that God used in almost a transportation vision uh, setting that I think so supersedes our little eight-hour REM sleep dreams. I believe that. I believe the scriptures back that, that, that uh, hypothesis up. But let's take a look at them. Verse 5 through 8 is dream number 1. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, you were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaves. And his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. See, the first dream has Joseph out in the field gathering grain in the field. It's, 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 almost, it's a prophecy when you get to chapter 50 and look back on it. I mean, that's really what's happening. And he sees that his brothers are basically bowing down to him. And that he's saying, Joseph is saying, one day I'm going to rule over every one of you. That's what I believe God showed me in the dream. And they defied the dream and they hated Joseph even more than they did before. Now, this is not the dinner table, and Joseph comes walking in with his coat of many colors. I had a dream. You all bite, and I'm going to be king. That's not what it was. It was my world was so rocked by this, maybe you can help me figure this out. So I, I have to share this with you. What do, what do you think this means? Well, the second dream, verses 9 through 11, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Again, this is not a little kid coming in saying, uh, you know, hey, I have another dream that makes me great and you horrible. You want to hear it? That's, no, I mean, it is just like, okay, God is speaking. God, this is a vision from God. I know it because it was not like anything else I've ever experienced. I dreamed another dream. In other words, I had another basically out-of-body experience where God showed me something that blows my mind and I don't, I don't know how to deal with it. And he says, I've dreamed another dream. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow down ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers grew more jealous of him. But what did Jacob do? He kept the saying in his mind. Why? Because he knew that Jacob had integrity. And he knew that Jacob is not going to come blabbing this stuff for, you know, unholy, selfish gain. He had a thought. J Jacob was like affronted a little bit, but he realized there might be something going on here. See, when we are told that he observed the saying, this means to take heed to. 
Jacob is having his choice of Joseph confirmed by the Lord in his dream, but Joseph and his brothers now have a wider gap that grows between them. And now God is actually speaking through Joseph. It should be noticed here that Joseph does not seem to be telling this as a brag or a boast. I always thought that up until about eight, nine years ago as I was studying this deeply for the first time. He told him this because it was so strange he needed to share it. Because it wasn't a night dream of REM sleep. This was a vision from God. And these dreams are the first indication that God has big plans for Joseph. And I believe that when he's in the pit, when he's in Potiphar's house, when he's in prison, that this dream sustained him through that time. That's how powerful this was. And that God had a plan and that everything else would turn out right. I have no other explanation, human, spiritual, biblical, or otherwise, as to why Joseph could maintain his integrity throughout all of what's going to happen to him, and I'm going to show you over the next six months, a couple weeks at a time. These dreams were implanting hope into Joseph. They were implanting hope into Joseph. I can pick up my Bible tomorrow. I will find something in my various reading plans. Some of them are willy-nilly. I just, oh yeah, let's, let's go read Colossians 3 again. A psalm. And it'll imply that I am seeking out the Lord's face. That's what the effort will imply. And what will God do? He will return by implanting hope. Every time. Every time. We read God's word that way. But now, if you want to start following the Lord Jesus, you need a couple things. Number one, you need other authentic Christians around you that you can be authentic with. And that's what a church is supposed to be. That's what a fellowship is supposed to be. Why? Because the world is going to hate you like the way the brothers hated Joseph. I don't say so. Jesus tells us that. Don't be surprised when you're hated for following the Lord. If they hated him, they're going to hate you. John 15, let's look at it, verses uh, uh, 18 through 20. It said, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. And if you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Don't let the haters stop you from achieving your fullest potential in the Lord. And you will, when I say you achieving, that's from a position of surrendering. That's from a position of letting God grow you so that you know he gets the glory. Joseph, in his life, stands as a testimony. So big that a four-part message becomes eight, becomes 16. Because there's so much here. And maybe God has placed a little finger on a place in your life today. Maybe there's a problem in your life with an area of jealousy or of purity or of honesty. You can come to God and get that straightened out. Or maybe you're like Joseph's brothers. They just have a need to be saved. They just need to be saved. And maybe life has interfered with the dreams, the visions, the hopes that God has put on your life. 
Don't take me wrong now. When I say that Joseph's life uh, dreams were much different than ours, what I'm saying is, is sometimes people try to conjure up visions and dreams and they try to make something out of their REM sleep dreams that go against what the Scripture has. These people in ancient times didn't have Scripture. These dreams, I think, were much more vivid. But that doesn't discount the dreams and vision God has laid on your heart and you know God put it there. And it ain't coming to pass. So what's up? Talk to him about it today. And know that he will make your path straight if you seek him. Know that his ways are higher than our ways and that it may not always look like you think it's going to look. And maybe you get to that place of submission to the Father's plan for your life, that you surrender to his plan and you serve him more faithfully so that he can take, bless, and use you for his glory in a bigger way than you ever thought possible. If he speaks to you today, hear him, and then obey. Thank you for spending your time with Mr. Bible Idiot, Chris Danielson. To learn more or to reach out to us, go to BibleIdiots.com. You can email us directly at Chris at BibMediaGroup.com, which is in the upper left-hand corner of the website. Another way to connect with us is our church app. Simply search Lifehouse Church Kansas in the App Store or Google Play Store. The Lifehouse app has an option to give to this outreach. Look for Bible Idiots under the giving module within the app. From all of us associated with the Bible Idiots brand, thanks for listening and please share this podcast with your world if the Lord leads you to do so. Many blessings. I'm Emily Danielson. May you get into the word of God today and go and serve your king.